CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Drosky Show. As I speak, it's Friday, January 9th, 2023. Uh, <laughs> once again, I'm talking on a phone. You know, the high, uh, the Wi-Fi is down. Man, I, I, I feel like Edward R. Murrow uh, in London, you know what I mean? Under ter- terrible circumstances. Here I am on my phone complaining about it. Uh, I know that's an extreme comparison. Uh, <laughs> I'm sitting in my on the floor of my bedroom speaking on this uh, a, a handheld phone. Anyway, uh, the breaking news, of course, in the world. Uh, everybody's been talking about all day Friday, the... the uh, Indictment of Donald Trump. No, I'm not talking about the indictment that went down in New York uh, uh, about a month ago. And I'm not talking about the indictment that will probably come out of Georgia before uh, too long or the indictment that will come out of Washington uh, regarding the insurrection. No, this is the indictment uh, out of Miami uh, by Jack Smith or a grand jury uh, about Donald Trump uh, taking documents that did not belong to him and stashing them, I believe, in the basement of his palatial uh, mansion in uh, Mar- at Mar-a-Lago in Florida. I'm thinking he could get away with it. Uh, I just finished reading a defense of Donald J. Trump written by uh, a Harvard Law professor you may have heard of named Alan Dershowitz. Uh, it came as part of an exchange debate uh, with my distinguished guest who's standing by just anxiously waiting uh, to uh, rip the Dershowitz argument apart, no doubt. Um, Dershowitz is claiming uh, that if it could happen to Donald Trump, it could happen to anybody. That's essentially uh, the gist of his article, which, duh. (laughs) Yeah, if you steal documents, it could happen to you. Wait a minute, breaking news. Can I be a law professor at Harvard? I don't know. My logic, if that's your logic, I'm going to be a you know, if you break the law, you too could go to jail. Oh, wow. Thanks, Professor. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> Alan Dershowitz. Is that the kind of criminal defense you, you're providing these days, Dershowitz? Uh, 
Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. I know you all know who it is, but he's going to introduce himself anyway, and they were away we go. Take it away, distinguished guest. Well, thanks, Ben. It's great to be here on um, what we call Summer Christmas. That's when uh, the president gets indicted. Um, it's just a wonderful time of the year. I'm David Ferris. I'm an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University here in Chicago, uh, author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics, and a columnist at Newsweek where I found myself sharing column space with the dirt today, Alan Dershowitz. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's a, it's a big day. I mean, um, we have a 38-count indictment against the former president of the United States, um, which uh, shows how he took highly sensitive documents just in the last couple of hours we've gotten the indictment unsealed and we have some some details about that indictment um including such things as uh donald trump showing highly classified information to someone from his pack his political action committee who does not have security clearance including being caught on tape bragging about possessing classified documents um some of these things included uh military attack plans against iran um, nuclear secrets, uh, just stuff that you don't want to be found with, <laughs> I say, unless you work in the intelligence community and you're gainfully employed by them and you have a security clearance, in which case you still don't want to have those things found at your home. Um, so Donald Trump is in a lot more trouble than I think anyone even realized when this was happening over the summer. Um, I, you know, I think there was a lot of wish casting on the right about, well, it'll just be that, um, you know, Dershowitz calls it a process crime, um, which by the way, it's still a crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no, uh, there's no get out of jail free card. Where you're just, well, it's just a process crime. Um, like when you, if you're being investigated for murder, um, and you know, you're under investigation for murder and then you like move the murder weapon from, um, from under your bed to a hole in the ground, that's also process, you know, um, or like when someone helps you cover up a murder, um, that's also process. So, um, process crimes are still crimes. Um, in fact, all the things that he's been indicted for are in fact, violations of the U S criminal code. So, um, these defenses about, well, well, I mean, you know, it's it, the defenses are either like, this is too mean because he was the president and it's, but we can't do that. You know, like we can't, this is coming from the crowd that was chanting lock her up for five years. Right. Uh, but like we can't lock up a former president um, or it's a dismissal of the seriousness of the charges, which um, the people that have been running with that line all day um, have been looking very silly in the last two hours when the, when the details of this came out. So um, it's hard for me to see how he's, he's going to wiggle his way out of this one, Ben. I just, I just, you know, <laughs> he's, they got him. All right. Uh, let's, uh, I'd love to hear you address directly uh the point of view not just dershowitz uh, he's the one that i most most recently heard it from or read it uh from and man this is i, I will now uh i will now uh, articulate my inner alan dershowitz uh and uh without rebutting the art argument i'm making i'm going to really resist that okay uh so the dershowitz argument is that uh, essentially uh, Donald Trump can never be 
charged with a crime, indicted by the current Biden administration, because Donald Trump, no matter what Donald Trump did, no matter what the evidence is, uh, because Donald Trump is a candidate uh, for president who will probably be running against Joe Biden. And so anything that Joe Biden, uh, the Justice Department uh, under Joe Biden does is in effect a political act uh, that has the impact of damaging the campaign of his competition. Uh, And so you can't give it any credence or credibility. It's a political act. Moreover, uh, it opens up the possibility that Republicans will start doing the same thing uh, to Democrats. Uh, And so that, let's say, Donald Trump is victorious and he's Can he run for a third term? Well, I guess he probably would anyway. (laughs) Let's just so Donald Trump could then uh, open up an investor or have justice open up an investigation against I don't know fill in the blank Cory Booker running against him uh, to in order to damage his credibility. So that's the Alan uh, Dershowitz uh, position as articulated in an article in a column that's directly opposite of yours. It's like. Uh, the, the old it's, it's Newsweek bending over backwards to be fair uh, and give each side its own. So your response to the Alan Dershowitz argument. Well, thanks, Alan. It's great to have this debate. Um, <laughs> I mean, what a hollow, ridiculous argument, right? Like, so follow it to its logical conclusion. Okay. So if you're the Syria uh, Democratic president, right? And you're like, just do crimes all the time. But, but Donald Trump committed crimes like basically every day he was in office. Um, violations of various statutes, violations of various ethical codes. Um, you know, things, some more serious than others. Okay. But there was this constant stream of crimes coming out of the White House between 2016 and 2020. Um, and the Dershowitz argument suggests that the only way that a president could be held accountable is if he or she is succeeded by a president of their own party. And then that person would impanel the Justice Department to go after the former president. Okay. Um, And that's just, well, that's ridiculous, right? Like that is partisan. The idea that we cannot prosecute high level criminals because they are enmeshed in partisan politics um, is an invitation for those partisan politicians to continue doing these terrible things knowing that there are a million Dershowitzes out there saying like, well, this would just inflame tensions. Right. And it's like, I don't, you know, I don't know how much worse tensions can get um, right now in America. But, uh, but the reality is um, there is no constitutional, moral or political reason um, why Donald Trump should not be prosecuted for the crimes that he committed. Um, you remember we, we had a conversation um Last year, when, when Merrick Garland appointed Jack Smith as the special counsel right after the election, when, when Donald Trump announced he was running for president, right, and Garland was like, well, 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 we wouldn't want things to appear to be not on the up and up. And he put Jack Smith in there. And we all lamented a little bit because we were like, well, this is going to slow it all down. Um, but looking back, and I said at the time, I still think this was the right move, right, because it allows it allowed Garland to put a, a, an arm's length between himself and the investigation of Trump. Um, it allowed them to appoint an independent-minded special special counsel, Jack Smith. Um, and it should have insulated them from charges of a partisan witch hunt. Now, as we also said at the time, nothing will insulate them from the perception 
of a partisan witch hunt. But there is still, I think, value in doing the right thing by the book, even if the right wingers are screaming about um, uh, about how this is all politically motivated. Garland and Biden and the whole team can sit back and be like, "Look, I did things by the statute, you know. Um, I, you know, we didn't make the grand jury issue thirty-eight indictments. Right? Like that's a great, that's a jury of, of of Donald Trump's. Of course, Donald Trump has no peers, <laughs> <laughs> right? But a jury of underlings, plebes, you know, uh, so who exist in a world underneath uh, the great golden tower of Donald Trump." issue these indictments against him, right? It's not just Jack Smith going off on, on his own. He had to convince a, a dozen people to go along with him, right? So um, so there's that, right? So that part of the argument is is pretty absurd. Um, and just the just the whole idea um, that, we ha- that we have to let the president skate because he was the president, right? And it's like, okay, so we can't go after the president while the president is the president, right? Um, we have all this, you know, Justice Department, uh, precedent now that we, we can't charge a sitting president. But so now we're also not allowed to charge them after they leave office for things they did in office. And we were also not allowed to charge them for things that they did after they left office. So you just have a lifetime grant to continue committing crimes and any attempt to, to prosecute for you for those crimes is a partisan witch hunt. No, 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 no. Look, Donald Trump always had the option of stopping his criminal activities when he was defeated. Um, and had he done so, I don't think that he would be the subject of any investigations. Okay. If he had woken up on the morning of, you know, I forget the exact date of the election in 2020, I think it was a November 3rd. Um, so if he had woken up on the morning of November 4th, or even like when, you know, when the networks called it five days later and he said like, well, it's been real, you know, the American people have spoken I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do my best uh, to, to help the Biden transition. Um, it's not my choice, but it was the choice that the American, you know, you know, you know what you're supposed to say when you lose a presidential election, you know what you're supposed to say. I disagree with the verdict of the people, but the people have spoken, you know, you'll see my dust plume. Bye-bye. I'm going to go start my library. Um, and instead he launched an insurrection um, and tried to destroy the American constitutional system of government which by the way is still a worse thing than the documents. <laughs> yes, I would say I would have to say the documents is the third worst, but we'll get into that. Right. If we <laughs> had to maybe we should power rank all the uh, possible indictments sort of. Um but anyway, th- this is all Donald this is all part of Donald Trump's agency. You know what I mean? Like this was all in Donald Trump's control. He could have chosen not to try to overthrow the government. He could have chosen when he left the White House and either intentionally or accidentally took classified information with him, he could have chosen to give it back when he discovered it. Um, he could have chosen to give it back when uh, the, the National Archives asked for them. He could have chosen to give the records back when the FBI started investigating it. Um, and through every step of this process, he decided to, to do the criminal thing, to engage in yet another conspiracy against the United States of America. And I don't care, you know, like you, you're going to have people come on and be like, well, the Espionage Act is outdated. Uh, some of these things are, are they're bad laws. Uh, we overclassify things, all of which could be true, and none of which matters, right? Um, because we don't get to pick and choose which laws are applied to which people. Right? Like, if you violated a criminal statute, you, you violated the criminal statute. Um, and what, what Jack Smith and what Merrick Garland and what their teams have done is they have taken a stand here, and they have said, like, no more free passes for the powerful. And Dershowitz is like, oh, well, they're going to go after Democrats. I hope they do. 
if the Democrats committed crimes, I hope they do go after them. I really do. You know, um, we, we could use less high-level crime in America. Um, and, and part of the reason that we have so many powerful people committing so many crimes is because they think very much justifiably that they will get away with it. Um, and here you have Donald Trump, and he's not going to get away with this. He's not going to get away with it. Uh, no, and, and I always love making this parallel uh, to the point you just made. Here in uh, the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois, where you have chosen, David Ferris, to live, that was your decision. Uh, we have a constant parade of Democrats going before uh, the, the ju- jurors, judges, uh, at this moment, uh, there's a conspiracy trial, uh, excuse me, a corruption trial uh, taking place in a courtroom downtown having to do with the son-in-law of the former assessor, uh, Joe Berrios, having to do with bribery accusations. No need to go with great detail about it. But that one came uh, right after the uh, Madigan Four Commonwealth Edison trial. Uh, which uh, resulted in four convictions, and it's coming right before the Michael Madigan himself trial, uh, and soon thereafter it will be the Ed Burke, former alderman Ed Burke. These are all Democrats. They're being tried uh, by prosecutors who, by the way, were appointed by Republicans. I don't know any Democrat in the state of Illinois, and I know a ton of Democrats in the state of Illinois, who's arguing that this is an unfair overreach by partisans trying to bring down the Democratic Party. That argument is only applied by Donald Trump or has been taken over by Donald Trump and his acolytes. Uh, And I just think it's absurd that Alan Dershowitz would say that Donald Trump's complaint that he's being picked on should be reason enough never to charge him with a crime because it would look as though he were being picked on. <laughs> Can you imagine if Michael Madigan said, they're picking on me, this is outrage. Would Dershowitz step forward and say, this too is an outrage. It could happen to anybody. If you take bribes from Commonwealth Edison, you too may. What kind of system would that be if you're tried for <laughs> taking bribes from Commonwealth Edison? It's an utterly absurd argument. Go ahead, David. No, I'm so I'm so glad you brought this up um, because it it speaks to um, a disconnect between the way that Republicans treat national and state politics um, and the way that they see they treat different procedures. So I have a student, one of my best students I've, I've ever taught. Uh, his name is Nick Cece. Nick, if you're listening, this is for you. Um, but uh, last year, um, some sometime during the endless filibuster debates, you know, Nick Nick posted on Twitter. He said, "Look, if the filibuster is such an important." Uh, tradition in our politics is such a you know such a critical way of ensuring bipartisanship. Why don't any state legislatures use the filibuster? Why aren't there supermajority requirements to pass legislation in a single state legislature in the United States, right? And even including Republican states, right? Like Republican trifecta states, they don't use this. You know, they don't use the filibuster rule in their state senates. Um, and it's very it's very similar. Which I, it was like such a devastating argument, um, and. It's very similar to this. Like governors go to jail all the time. Right? Um, like governors are executives of states are prosecuted, and no one blinks. You know, um, and we actually tend to just sort of like dismiss and laugh at them when they, you know, get on their high horse and they're like, "This is ridiculous." Like Blagojevich, you know, 
Oh, well, I, everybody sells Senate seats, right? I mean, you know, come on. It's, it's Illinois. Uh, so it's like, I'm from New Jersey. I've spent most of my life in the two most corrupt states in the country. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> from New Jersey. Like, you know, people have been convicted in Jersey too. And it's not like a, it's not considered a constitutional crisis, right? Like it, like what we're doing is we're placing the onus back on the leaders. It's like, don't commit crimes. Don't wantonly violate statutes. At least we seem to have written them carte blanche to do whatever they want in office. But like, could you at least stop doing the crimes when you're done? Like when you leave office, can you please stop violating the constitution? Can you please stop committing these crimes? The other thing that Donald Trump has agency about, okay, and which all Republicans have agency about, including Republican primary voters, including Republican senators, is that Donald Trump does not need to be a serious nominee, a, a serious contender for the presidential nomination, okay? He's not entitled to it. He's certainly not entitled to pursue that nomination unmolested by the law just because he decided he wants to be president again, okay? Like, declaring yourself a, a candidate for president may set off certain normative procedures to, to insulate the DOJ from, from the charges that are being lobbed against it anyway, right? But it's not a, it's not a, it, it's not a method for you to say, like, I can't be prosecuted right now because I'm running for president. I can't be investigated right now because I'm running for president. I don't remember that, that precedent being invoked for Hillary Clinton. You know, uh, I don't remember Republicans being like, well, look, she's running for president. So this is, you know, this isn't, cool. <laughs> you know, um, and so uh, the reason that the, the front runner for the Republican nomination is being persecuted by the justice department is because that person is a criminal. Um, and the reason it's a, it's a problem for our politics is because millions of people are still incomprehensible committed to this man. Um, despite all of the evidence staring them in the face about his various crimes of varying levels of severity. Um, and they still, they still tell the pollsters like, I'm yeah, 30 point lead for Donald Trump. Right. Um, and uh, so that's not, look, that's not my problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not my problem that the former president, disgraced, twice impeached, former president is under multiple criminal investigations and still wants to be the president again and has the support of his idiot voters. That's not my problem. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not going to say like, no, you don't have to go to jail because of that fact set. There's nothing in the Constitution that says that. Um, and if there's one thing I've been consistent about on this show over and over again, just use the power that you have. Use it for good, right? Don't don't abuse the power just because you can, but use it for good, right? And punishing the worst person in America, who was our worst president, the most corrupt president, I think the most damaging and dangerous. Um, using the power that we have to, to put him behind bars is something that we absolutely should be doing. And I don't think we should be making any kinds of apologies for it. Well, I would, uh, at some other time, make the arguments, I think I do our uh, occasionally that uh, George W. Bush was actually a more destructive president uh, in this century than Donald Trump. I'm just doing this century uh, because of the wars he unleashed. Uh, but let's put that argument to aside. Uh, there wasn't a level of personal contempt for the Constitution uh, just on a continual basis from George W. Bush. Uh, and... Um, you know, he did insist on a third term. I'm just going to stick around. I'm, you know, he, <laughs> could you imagine? I'm not leaving. Uh, 
but uh, I mean, George Bush looked so hollowed out by the end of his second term. Like I, you could tell in his eyes, he just wanted to go paint yeah, some dogs. That. George Bush is a whole other uh, thing. But uh, all right, so let's deal with the political ramifications of what you just stated. That millions and millions of uh, Americans remain loyal to Donald Trump, uh, regardless of what evidence of his wrongdoing is put in front of them. And um, Donald Trump, of course, bragged that this would be the case. He said he could murder somebody and they'd still remain loyal to him. And they're determined to prove him correct. Um, sexual assault, no problem. That, that, by the way, a tangent within a tangent, David. The argument, even worse of an argument than the one Alan Dershowitz uh, conjured in his uh, uh, essay or whatever that thing was in uh, Newsweek, is the one, the justification that Republican women give to Donald Trump after he was convicted of sexual assault. I read this. I actually read the, 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 the inquiry reporters went out and talked to Republican women. And the women said, and I'm pretty much quoting, well, all men do that. I'm like, what? <laughs> all men sexually assault people? Is that the, your husband? Has your son? Has he, your nephew? <laughs> All men do that. Oh, okay. Uh, so there's just no crime, I think, that Donald Trump can commit that will not be justified or uh, overlooked by um, his MAGA uh, acolytes. So that is a very scary thing. I, I, I mean, I'm watching, and I'd love to get your thoughts about this, the dance, we've talked, the dance that Republican leaders are doing on this subject. Kevin McCarthy already has come out, the speaker, uh, Republican Speaker of the House, denouncing the prosecutors. Ron DeSantis kind of denounced the prosecutors. Yeah, no, he denounced the prosecutors, but he didn't uh, defend Trump. Okay, the wall, there's profile and courage right there. <laughs> and then oh, sorry, we'll get into Pence in a little while. Um, so, what is the what is the significance? What does this say about where America is right now? That I don't know what percentage it is. Let's just for the sake of it, forty five percent of the country will follow this man wherever he leads, no matter where he leads. Well, I mean, I think. All of the important work of cognitive dissonance, these people have already done for themselves. You know, I mean, unless you're like 18 and just getting into it and you're like, how can I justify this to myself? Um, most of his supporters have spent eight years uh, rationalizing their support for him, uh, coming up with arguments to, to justify his various, you know, everything from his like, his weird behavior to his sordid past, um, to the things that he said, said and did as a candidate for president, to to the Ukraine stuff, to January sixth, but like we've been we've been on this road for a long time, um, and the people that are like still on the bus with him, I don't. There's nothing that could change their minds. But like there'd be some rationalization, some conspiracy theory. Um, it's the it's the deep state. Uh, the evidence was planted. You know, it, right? Like there's so many ways. There's so many ways that you can um, invent a theory that fits the case that you want to be there. Um, and that's what, that's what people are doing here. And that's what, I mean, that's what his hardcore supporters are going to be doing here. But the real, where the, where the rubber meets the road in politics 
is the effect on people who are less committed to Trump than those people are. Right. There is a hardcore, I don't know what it, I don't, you know, hang a number on it. 25% of the adult American population is just like imperviously attached to this dude in a way that no evidence could possibly change their minds. Right. Unless he came out and he was like, I'm trans. Um, like maybe that would, maybe that would break the, you know, maybe that would break them. But then, then maybe they, that, at that point they probably all become like, yeah, man, all gender restrooms. Like, that's the way to go. Um, Donald Trump needs an all gender bathroom. So, so, so should we all. Um, so that's, that's about a quarter of the population. <laughs> population. Uh, also always worth remembering. These people are heavily overrepresented in the GOP primary electorate. Right? Like the kinds of people that turn out for Republican primaries are disproportionately Trump lunatics. Um, But even in the surveys um, that that I've seen and the averages that I've seen, you know, currently on 538, Trump has like a 53 to 21 lead over to Santos for the nomination. Those are not lights out numbers. You know, um, that's a commanding lead, but it's not the lead of an incumbent. Right. Um, it's a lead that suggests that close to half of the primary electorate for Republicans is looking for someone else. Um, and the people that say, this is just going to be, this is just going to help him win the nomination. I, I, I really actually think that they're wrong about this. <laughs> okay. Um, it's, it's one thing, um, when it's just a bunch of hearings in Congress, right? But if Trump goes on trial or is convicted in the middle of this campaign, um, I, I'm I'm pretty convinced that that's going to have a negative effect on his support among Republicans in the primary. This is to say nothing of the general election, right? If they send this dude out to the general election with this stuff hanging over him, he's he's going to lose. I think worse than significantly worse than 2020. Um, but the primary electorate, I think, is also elastic in a way that people are not giving it credit for. Like it was only like six months ago that DeSantis had some leads and some polls. Um, and so there's a, there's a real, I think there's a real sense in the GOP primary electorate that like, you know, um, like some of the policies, but like, I, maybe we're a little bit tired of the circus, you know, and the circus is just, is about to become 24 seven, um, with no end in sight. And, um, if you, for example, were running against Donald Trump to be the GOP nominee for the president of the United States. And your adversary was um, indicted on 38 counts, <laughs> uh, like espionage. Uh, don't you think the play here would be to take the government's side and say, like, I'm running against Trump. It seems bad uh, to show military attack plans to political hacks at your stupid country club. So I'm... I don't think that he should have done any of this. I don't think that he's fit to be president. Um, and yet the, the headlines that I woke up to this morning are, let's see, Tim Scott, our friend Tim Scott. Here we go. Twitter. I'm going to, I'll be your computer for you, Ben. Okay. I know you're. Okay. 12 hours ago, Tim Scott, Americans deserve to have confidence in our justice system. As president, I will purge all the injustices in our system. So every American is seen by the lady of justice with a blindfold on. There's a lot going on in the sentence. Okay. Uh, first of all, um, you're going to purge all of the injustices in our system. I don't think that you would start 
with one dude in a box of of, uh, of nuclear secrets. <laughs> I think, hear me out. I think there's actually worse things going on in our justice system than that. And uh, but pretty confident that uh, um, the Republicans, only black senators, should know that. Um, but also, you can't be seen with a blindfold on. Um, but the the takeaway here is why. <laughs> Why are you, why aren't you denouncing Trump? You are running against him. What other point of of uh, difference are you hoping to highlight, other than the fact that he's corrupt, unfit, uh, has committed various crimes in office? What like how are you going to distinguish yourself from Trump if not to say like January sixth was bad, um, stealing records and then showing them to your idiot friends is bad, um, trying to overturn the election is bad in Georgia. Um, that's, that's your path right there. Um, that's, to, that's the path to getting those leaners. Like those people that are like, I kind of like Trump. Um, they're gettable. You know, there's another, there's another 20% of the, of the primary electorate that's gettable and they just, they can't bring themselves to get off the Trump train. I mean, even DeSantis who mind you has been, he's like, Donald Trump is running around calling him meatball run right? on national television. Meatball run, you know, you big meatball idiot. And DeSantis says the weaponization of federal law enforcement represents a mortal threat to a free society. Why so zealous in pursuing Trump yet so passive about Hillary or Hunter? Um, just as you would say, profiles encourage a profiles in bad politics. B okay. Someone and the only person who's out there, like really willing to, to, to be like, Trump is just like a corrupt grifter um who's willing to, to to sell his country out and should never be president again the only person the only republicans willing to say that is asa hutchinson who's you know like he's like the lincoln chafee of 2024 you know it's like a, someone who was well regarded 20 years ago and you're like i remember that man asa hutchinson was like the governor of arkansas like five thousand years ago um like he's never gonna be president like, they, like so the only like the only contenders against him who are willing to say what's what's real here are the people who have no chance. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I, I don't care what happens to any of these people. I hope they all lose by a thousand points. Um, but if I were, God help me, um, a Republican strategist, I would be advising my candidate to take this evidence and run with it. You know, it, even if you're like weaponization, uh, this is, this is persecution, but do you really want your nominee in jail on election day? Like, is that what you want? Just come to me. I, I'll do all the Trump stuff. But I won't be in prison. I, I, I'm Ben. I'm completely mystified by the Republican primary field, and it's like complete inability to just be like this dude sucks. Don't vote for him. <laughs> we can do better, you know. All right. Before we go into uh, a little deeper dive, at least into Christie and uh, Pence, because uh, I wanted to ask you about that. Why don't you deal with the Hillary question, which uh, Dershowitz uh, also raised, and. <laughs> I'm going to do this with a straight face. I'm now uh, going to do my best to repeat Dershowitz's argue, argument. Uh, uh, prosecuting Trump, it'd be like what if Trump prosecuted Hillary for her crimes, in quotes, but uh, Trump did not. So he's making the argument that uh, Trump was more restrained uh, than Joe Biden. And um, so... Your thoughts about that argument that Trump showed restraint uh, in not throwing her in jail or locking her up as his 
uh, as the crowd was cheering him to do. I, I hope that I someday attain the status of a Harvard law professor who can just say whatever they want, um, as, as, as absurd as they, as they want and just, and just go about your day, like go to work the next day. Like you didn't do that. Um, this is a ridiculous argument. Okay. First of all, neither Donald Trump nor Joe Biden is the attorney is the attorney general. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, but the idea of Joe Biden, like micromanaging this investigation just doesn't pass past the sniff. test. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he yeah. read the reports, right? It's like, like, don't bother him on the weekends, and he works like, you know, he's an old man, right? He's not out there like orchestrating this. Um, he appointed an attorney general, um, and that attorney general actually did the right thing and appointed somebody else to avoid the appearance of impropriety. Um, and the same is true of Donald Trump. Like Donald Trump, like fired like fifteen thousand people um, trying to get to the one who would prosecute Hillary Clinton, I guess, and no one ever would because there was no case like the the arguments that republicans are putting out there it's like they exist in a world that is completely free of evidence um that is completely free of distinction between different kinds of actions you know accidental intentional um uh, it's like definitely none of them have sat through a law class okay um, because there's also an element of intent here right um and no one I, I'm, I think the reason that hillary clinton was not prosecuted for what she did is that no one could ever prove any intent um, like another one, no one could prove that she knew what, that she had classified documents on her computer, um, and that she hid them from investigators and that she wanted to do something nefarious with them. But no one additionally was able to, to show ever that anyone was harmed by the, her email server management practices. Um, any secrets escaped into the wrong hands, any of that kind of stuff. Right. So it's just a different set of facts here. Um, and so, Dershowitz and his friends are the ones whose brains have been poisoned by partisanship here. Okay. Um, and to have your brain poisoned by partisanship is like, you can never look at someone on your own team and be like, yeah, they did something wrong. Like that. They should go to jail for that. Um, and so what the, the facts of the material facts of the case matter here and Republicans can't wrap their, their brains around it because they have been huffing, um, from a, a can of paint about Hillary Clinton for, for nine years. Um, like, have you ever heard someone talk about the Biden crime family? Like this kind of stuff. Like, it's like it's like QAnon adjacent hallucinatory thinking about what the Bidens and the Clintons did. Okay, um, what the Bidens and Clintons did largely is like kind of run of the mill American nepotism and self enrichment, right? None of which was illegal, um, and uh, at the, none of them did what Trump did. So. Um, if they want to, if they want to go out on TV and just like elide all these distinctions to avoid dealing with the facts of the case, that's their business. What they're all about to learn <laughs> is the difference between being in and out of power. You know what I mean? Like the difference between like I can get bailed out of this because um, because my opponents don't control sixty seven votes in the Senate, and I can't get out of this because there is a federal prosecutor on my tail with a grand jury that just issued thirty eight indictments. Um, they're about to find out what the difference between that stuff is. And I think that like they have a real problem on their hands because they can't get out of this mode of like, we can just um, invent some ridiculous story about what was going on here. The call to Zelensky was perfect. It was the perfect call, right? Like that stuff's not going to fly with a federal prosecutor, right? It might fly with like Jim Jordan, um, you know, on the house wrestling committee or whatever, but it's not going to fly with a federal prosecutor. 
And so all of this arrogance, which Trump carried with him from office to his new life as a private citizen, is really about to catch up with him because he no longer has those protections, right? Um, and uh, the Republican spinning on TV doesn't matter. It mattered for Ukraine, right? It mattered for the impeachment trials because ultimately the people deciding his fate were other Republicans in office who were terrified of their own shadows and were terrified of their own primary voters, right? That's not who's going to decide his fate now, right? Um, there's nothing stopping the people from that are going to decide his fate from just being like, yeah, guilty, right? This is an open shut case. Um, it is, again, far from the worst thing that Donald Trump has ever done, but it is open and shut. Um, and I think he spent a lot of time in prison. I don't think he has uh, left. But. By my count, just for a record before we move on, uh, if I'm going from uh, the worst of, I would start with the insurrection, uh, which is the worst. This is just the crimes of recent uh, Donald Trump crimes. I would say um, the, uh, it's, <laughs> this is unbelievable, this one. The phone call to the Secretary of State in Georgia just say, get rid of the votes. <laughs> I'll take care of the rest. That's number two, right behind insurrection. That's unbelievable how any Republican in the state of Illinois can look the other way at that. And you got him on tape, ladies and gentlemen. Dershowitz, you can't talk your way out of that. Uh, although you'll try, I'm sure. Uh, and documents would be third, and the hush money, uh, I would put fourth, uh, the hush money to Stormy Daniels. That's my top four. Anyway, neither here nor there. All right. Uh, you didn't read to me uh, Chris Christie's response. Now, I've been doing shows all day, so I've been away from uh, the news. Uh, has Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, who uh, is running as the anti-Trumper, as the guy who's not afraid to tell it like it is about Trump, has he come out with a statement uh, since the indictment has been released? Um, I live on Twitter, so I don't know. Like, he hasn't put anything out since yesterday on Twitter. Um and the last thing he said yesterday was, we don't get our news from Trump's Truth Social account. Let's see what the facts are when any possible indictment is released. As I have said before, no one is above the law, except the people that did Bridgegate. <laughs> no matter how much they wish they were, we will have more to say when the facts are revealed. Um, so yeah, again, um, this fits in fully with my theory of the non-serious candidates <laughs> being willing to denounce him. And the, the, maybe the two or three people that actually have a chance of taking him out. Um, not not being willing to go on record as with with this kind of stuff. Um, so this is the candidate. Uh, the, the indictment's been out for at least, as I look at the clock, I don't know, four hours. Uh, and we live. You just referred to Twitter. We live in an instant society. Donald Trump was preparing his defense uh, before any of it went public. He got the phone call, The his lawyer got the phone call that he was about to be indicted, and he went on the attack already. So it's an instant society. The fact that Chris Christie uh, has not said anything indicates that maybe the attack, even the attack dog uh, is afraid here. Uh, what do you make of the Chris Christie uh, campaign, the position he's put himself in uh, for the Republican primary? Yeah, he's not going to be the nominee. I mean, I, Chris Christie can be very cutting in a very effective way when he wants to be. Um, you know, his his dismantlement of Marco Rubio during the 2016 primary campaign and that debate will go down in history. 
you know, he's, he can bring a certain kind of Jersey. I say, this is a person from New Jersey. Okay. He can bring a kind of like a kind of a Jersey cutthroat nastiness to the proceedings that, um, that can put him on like almost on par with Trump in terms of like how, how vicious they're willing to be. Um, the, the, I mean, Chris Christie's problems are threefold. Okay. One, he's too liberal, um, to get elected as the GOP nominee. I like, I, I don't know what political consultants are taking his money <laughs> or the money of his supporters, but you know, with his record on abortion and things like that, it's just, it just doesn't pass the sniff test. Like he's never, he's not going to get a million miles. The second problem is that he was one of the earliest sycophants to bend the knee to Trump in 2016. You know, he like took Marco Rubio out and then was like, I'm yours to do with me what you would like my leash, you know, like, like I'm your servant now, please. Like whatever I'll do, I will hollow myself out. I will turn myself into a dignity wraith. Um, and it's only when it all went wrong that he got like hopped off of the Trump train. And now he's like, well, I mean, everybody makes mistakes, you know, like I, I thought he was okay. And it turns out he's not, and it's just not a plausible story. Like if you go back and you listen to what Christie Christie was saying, before he got bought off during the debates, it was like, yeah, not fit for president, you know, like a uh, clown show. What do they call him? A uh, carnival barker, you know, all this stuff, like that all the candidates said, and now he's switched again. It's just, come on. Um, his other problem is like, I'm sorry, but like when you are a governor more than two terms removed, um, from being the governor of a state, it's, just, I'm sorry, but your time has passed. You know, like Chris Christie hasn't been the governor of anything in, in years. Um, he left the office in a cloud of disgrace with like a 5% approval rating. Um, and I just don't know who he thinks he's kidding, right? Like, again, I do, th- I just think the way that these primaries have, have, uh, exploded in the number of candidates in recent years, it's just, it's a lot of people like auditioning, um, for like an MSNBC gig or, or whatever. Um, or they want to call him and, you know, they want to be a consultant or they just, they want to reward their friends in the political consulting industry <laughs> by funneling some small donors to them and keep them employed for a few minutes. I, I don't know. I don't know Chris Christie, so I can't tell you, but he's not a serious candidate for president. Well, the fact that he uh, builds himself as the anti-Trump uh, and still hasn't been an anti-Trump on this matter uh, underscores your point. Uh, and uh, yeah, you're absolutely correct. The flip-flopping on Donald Trump is... Is, is embarrassing. That brings us to Mike Pence, who also announced his candidacy this week. I, I, I mean, I don't know what he's smoking. That, that is so delusional. Maybe you disagree with me. Just give me your thoughts on Mike Pence. What kind of campaign is he going to be uh, running, and what is his uh, road to victory in the Republican primaries? He doesn't have a road to victory in the, in the Republican primaries either. Um, and that's actually very unusual in historical perspective. I and mean, we've talked on the show before about how former vice presidents um, have uh, have a very, very clear inside track to their party's nomination if they ever seek it. Whether they win the general election is another question. Right? That's a, mu- a much more mixed record. But former VPs who mount a serious campaign to, to claim their party's nomination almost always win. Um. And, um, and that's a combination of name identification and the way that the president and the vice president tend to have extremely high levels of approval among their own party's voters, even after they leave office. Um, you know, that's still true of Joe Biden, right? I mean, like Biden and Harris, like Kamala Harris, whatever you think of her would be a formidable candidate for the nomination. 
just by virtue of being the vice president. She has a lot of built-in, she would have a lot of built-in advantages. Um, and um, Mike Pence uniquely um, in modern American history has blown all of those advantages um, with this like weird back and forth between um, he tried to murder me and but he was also a great president. I, I don't know. He's, and he's still trying to walk this line. Like he said, I'm deeply troubled to see this indictment move forward. Um, he's talking to Hugh Hewitt, one of our paramount preposterous people in, in the media universe. Yesterday on the road in Iowa, I had said I'd hoped that the DOG would, would say, see its way clear not to move forward here. But let me be very clear. No one is above the law. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, I, was, I was really hoping this wasn't going to happen. But if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And uh, yeah, vote Mike Pence, I guess. <laughs> His campaign logo looks like the Wonder Bread um, <laughs> logo. Uh so let me just let me just absorb that. Uh, it's uh, I was seriously hoping it, I, the Justice Department would see its way, uh, but it happened. Uh, <laughs> in other words, I don't know what to say, so I'm just going to say a bunch of stuff and hope that satisfies you. Uh, you know, I think obvious the obvious point about Mike Pence. Uh, to deal with the issues of why he's uh, can't take advantage of his vice presidency is because again, millions and millions and millions of Republican voters remain loyal uh, to the president. Uh, and so if you were going to be the type of person who is a vice president, which means you're always loyal to the boss, that means he would hold off on running for president so long as Donald Trump is running for president and he can keep the pretense going that they're a team and then he could appeal to the MAGA crowd as Donald Trump's number one teammate. Um, but the fact that he didn't, you know, cave at that moment on January 6th and rubber stamp Donald Trump's reelection, even though Donald Trump didn't win an election, uh, lost him the support with MAGA and Donald Trump. And so he, that's why I say he's got to be the most deluded man in America, maybe second to Chris Christie, uh, who thinks he could be, get elected by MAGA by ripping MAGA's hero. Um, the, the only way that Pence could be the nominee is if he had a time machine, okay? And if he went back to January 2021 um, and he made a clean break with the president, Right, right then and there, you know, he went to the Senate and was like, you should convict the dude. Okay. Like he's dangerous. Um, kind of the same choice that Mitch McConnell had. Like, Mitch McConnell's probably like, oh my God, is this guy going to be the nominee? Kill me. And um, it's like, you whipped your own caucus against conviction, man. This is as much your fault as in as anyone else's. Um, and he, he can't do that because he's been trying to walk this fine line between like January 6th was bad and Trump had something to do with it, but he can't bring himself to fully denounce the guys unfit to be president. In part because he was, his own. I mean, the political scientist in me right now is just like, this is gonna be a highly unusual election, right? Like, um, we haven't had a one-term president seek the office again since uh, Teddy Roosevelt, um, and we haven't had a we haven't had a non we haven't had a president serve non consecutive terms since Grover Cleveland. Okay, so it's been like over a hundred years, one hundred forty years, um, and we never in the modern primary era. I'm not an expert on older American history. Okay. <laughs> 
my, my, my deep knowledge of American history basically starts in like 1968. Okay. But in the, what we refer to as the primary era that began in 1972 when they rewrote the rules for binding primaries and, and caucuses, we've never had a, a president running against his own vice president to be the nominee of the party. Okay. Um, I don't think any of them have come to terms with how awkward that's going to be for them to debate each other. Um, I guess obviously Pence is not going to be his running mate <laughs> if he wins the nomination. Um, but again, I simply cannot understand on a, just a basic level why Pence is not out there being like, look, folks, I signed on to be Donald Trump's vice president because I believe in his vision for America. Over the years, as I served with him, I came to see how deeply unfit for office he was. That culminated in the insurrection. He's not above the law. Um, do I necessarily think this case should be prosecuted as it is? Maybe not. Um, but no one is, these are the laws. No one is above the law. And I encourage you to vote for me. Um, I'm like MAGA without the baggage. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm the real deal. You know, I'm a religious theocrat, fascist, and I'm not going to go to jail because I haven't done anything to go to jail for. Um, I feel the life of me. I cannot understand why that's not the line of attack. I still don't, I don't know if it would work, but at least like at least go down swinging, right? You're all going to lose to him because you're being like, well, he was a great president. Uh, oh, oh, he's right here on stage with us. Uh, yeah, great president. Uh, I know he's running again. You may be thinking to yourself, well, why not just elect him? Hmm. No, you, you can't. <laughs> I mean, you can't even use the obvious uh, political argument. So putting aside uh, like morals or principles or law-breaking, and just t- raw politics, which is where you began. Uh, politically speaking, it's very doubtful that Donald Trump, uh, having already lost, ha- and then on top of that, adding all the baggage he's added, could win. And so that's the strongest argument uh, from a pragmatic standpoint that an immoral Republican can make. The immoral Republican could say, I don't disapprove of all the crimes that Donald Trump has obviously committed, but the reality is swing voters in Georgia and Arizona will vote against him. He cannot win in those states. We need those states to win electorally. So you can't nominate him because it's a losing proposition. That's a pragmatic, immoral argument. They won't even make that. (laughs) You know what I mean? so crazy maybe they will right like maybe they will come around to this by the summer when the debates start um or maybe trump will have the good sense to just no step step aside yeah but no um, that'll never happen (laughs) i have to think that someone someone is going to make a pragmatic argument for why he can't be the nominee um it's just incredible to me you know these guys are spending millions of dollars on consultants and none of them can give them any good advice I don't want them to get good advice. I want them to uh, listen. Them. Yeah. I mean, do, they're going to do what they're going to do anyway. They're not going to listen to you and me. Uh, but on the, the long chance that they do, they're not going to get any help from me. All right. We'll close with this. And it really should be the subject for a much longer uh, show uh, because it's a very important decision that the Supreme Court made the other day, which is completely been overturned, uh, excuse me, but overtaken by the news of Trump's indictment, but having to do with the um, voting rights case uh, out of uh, Alabama, where the, uh, the Republicans in Alabama had essentially gerrymandered black people out of existence in the state of Alabama. 
some activists uh, sued. It made its way to the Supremes, and to my utter amazement, the Supremes ruled five to four. A MAGA Supreme Court ruled five to four in favor of the plaintiffs, uh, essentially ordering a a drawing of the boundaries of the Alabama congressional districts. So instead of six to one, I'm doing this off the top of my head, six to one Republicans, uh, the new map will probably be five to two Republicans. David, I would not have predicted that coming out of this Supreme Court. Uh, and by the time this show drops, there could be, could already been announced uh, decisions on affirmative action cases that contradict this decision. So I take, I understand all that, but let's just deal with this. What in the world happened there? It was uh, Roberts somehow or other got Brett Kavanaugh to go along with the three liberals to make it five to four decision. What do you think was going on there? Well, I like to think that like in John Roberts's head, it's me and my friends whispering like, we're going to pack the court. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I do think there's an element of, uh, do do you know what they, they said about, when FDR tried to pack the courts um, in 1937, um, and there was a political revolt against his plan, but the same Supreme Court, there was not a change in composition on the court, the same Supreme Court started voting to uphold the New Deal. Um, and, I, and they called it the switch in time that saved the nine. Uh, I, just, I just said that I don't know anything about American history before 1968, didn't I? But uh, this, I, this, this was in my book, okay? So um, the switch in time that saved the nine. I, there's a little bit of mythology about this, right? But I do think that there's something going on here where the the remaining pragmatists in the conservative bloc, I think, are going to occasionally issue a decision that's not absurd um, for, for the more or less sole purpose of dating the legitimacy of the court and allowing that 6-3 majority to do the other kinds of things that they want to do. And I think at the end of the day, the VRA's Section 2 um, about minority voting and minority re- representation doesn't matter to them. Um, in some ways, uh, these minor- these majority minority districts are kind of like bad for the Democratic Party as a whole, right? Because you're packing voters into a single district in a way that's not very efficient. Um, it's good for minority representation, obviously, right? But I think Republicans see it as something that's not. In this case, of course, Republicans would lose a seat in Alabama. Okay, writ large, I don't think they really care that much about it. And I mean, it's like a, um, it's not something that really harms them politically in the way that, that some other reforms would, or even upholding some current precedents would do. And so it's like, you throw the left a little volleyball here and be like, see, we're not that evil. I know we just condemned half the country to, to gender servitude and reproductive tyranny, but hey, you get an extra seat in Alabama in 2024, maybe if they listen to the court, um, and so I think that they saw this as a low-cost way to telegraph the court's ongoing integrity. Um, I, for one, am not fooled, um, although I do respect the cleverness of the gambit. That said, it's a good it's a good policy victory. Okay, it could result in some seats going our way and a few. Others. So, how did they talk Kavanaugh into being the guy? They needed a a, a magaite to join Roberts. So how did Roberts, like, what did he, did they pick straws? Well, you know that Clarence Thomas and Alito in a million years aren't going to go. So it's between Gorsuch uh, and um, 
uh, Kavanaugh and Amy Coney uh, Barrett. So what did they pick straws? How did they get the the, the Trump person to be the fall guy, uh, if you will? Well, yeah, you're right. I don't know if they even bother picking up the phone for Scalia and Thomas because those those two guys will just vote for for any crazy thing that'll that'll harm Democrats. Um, I think Gorsuch and Barrett and Kavanaugh have occasionally shown themselves willing to cross, you know, the Federalist Society orthodoxy about various things. Not often, right? But more so than Alito. Like Alito and Thomas are just partisan hacks, right? Um, Kavanaugh and Barrett. Um, like Kavanaugh is a is a partisan hack who it seems to be occasionally talked in to um to siding with the court's legitimacy by Roberts every once in a while. Coney Barrett is a religious fanatic. Okay. I don't actually think that she's as, as motivated by partisanship as some of the others. Um and that leaves Gorsuch, who I, I think is did, you know, didn't, you know, he voted with the conservatives on this one. So I don't I don't know that there's a pattern here. I think uh, I think that Roberts is trying to convince his colleagues that they're in trouble, like that the court is in trouble. It's as much his doing as anybody else's, right? I mean, it is the Roberts court. People, <laughs> um, a lot of terrible yeah. things with a five-four majority, um, but he has lost control of the train with the six-three majority. Um, and I think a lot of these cases is Roberts seeking to reestablish some control over the conservative wing so that they don't drive the train off the tracks um, in a way that causes uh, like an explosion that harms, that harms the institution itself. Well, uh, your explanation um, uh, is better than the one I was uh, throwing out at an earlier show today, uh, which is uh, that Brett Kavanaugh is going through a midlife crisis uh, and becoming a liberal. The way some guys, when they hit like 55 or 50, go buy a sports car, uh, and so he's trying to reclaim a liberal youth that never existed. Uh, that was my theory. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure even I believe he's, he's, he's thinking to himself, like, what would squeeze you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. What would Tobin do? Uh, Tobin would totally vote for this. Let's do it, yeah. man. Give me a beer. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, David, thank you for entertaining me uh, in these bleak times. It was a very funny interview with you today. Uh, and um, we will see the world, what the world will look like in two weeks because it changes so fast. Uh, there may be another Trump indictment by them. Uh, you know, uh, I, I hear that the one of Georgia's and uh, any day status. So, uh <laughs> The more the merrier, as far as I'm concerned. So. Uh, yeah, let's see what it will take to get Chris Christie, who's the anti-Trumper, to issue a declaration against Trump. Uh, so uh, anyway, thanks again, David. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Ben. It's, it's always great to be here. And I look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks. All right. That's David Ferris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. <laughs>